second Parsha, living, as it were, in the world of Abraham. Couldn't be better than that. And what's different about this Parsha, the second Parsha of Avram's life, he's no longer Avram, he's Avraham. Here's a little Hasidic insight. Avram, Av means father. And Av in Kabbalah, in Hasidus, Av is Chochmah. Chochmah is the spark of wisdom. It's the highest in the tens we wrote, if you're familiar with the tens we wrote. And Ram, Ram means high, lofty. So Avram means he was at a very lofty level, lofty spiritual level. And Avraham, as we read last week, Avraham, by adding that letter hey, God is sort of taking him down from this very lofty level and bringing him into this world to have an impact on the world. So even though Abraham was having an impact on the world before God sends him off, to an extent, but when does he really have his impact on the world? This is after and even more, once God changes his name from Avram to Avraham. Now, Here's the interesting thing. In Avraham, you still have Avram. Avram is still, is still there in Avraham. It's added. Hey, it's added. That means that Avraham retains that lofty understanding and depth of quality that Avram was and brings that to Avraham. So the first thing that's different in this week's Parsha is already Avraham. And the second big thing, which is also a major change and upgrade for Avram, Avraham, is that he has had his circumcision. It's the first mitzvah that God actually gives him. We have a tradition that God, I'm sorry, that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, that they, they observed all of Torah even before it was given. They had an intuitive knowledge of the essence of Torah at its spiritual core. So even things that didn't happen yet, such as the exodus from Egypt, they understood that and accessed that from its spiritual core. So they were doing mitzvahs, even if it wasn't in the same way that we do it today, like tefillin wrapping leather around our arm, they were doing something that was the spiritual equivalent of tefillin. Medrash says with the sticks, that Yaakov will learn about the sticks that he, that he was manipulating that that had to do with the mitzvah of tefillin. And so um, they were doing mitzvahs. However, they were not required to do so. They had not been commanded to. The only mitzvah that Avram didn't do and waited for God to command them to do, that was the mitzvah of bris milah, of, of circumcision. And so it's the mitzvah of bris milah that he actually receives a commandment from God. And it's one that... Um, has an impact on the physical reality, on his physical body, which is really what Abraham is all about, is bringing the, the divine into the physical world. He is the forerunner. He's paving the road for the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai by his, uh, you know, seven generations later by Moses, by Moses, where you see the culmination of Abraham's work to bring God into this world. Favor, very famous medrash, especially in Chabad, that when, God, when Adam sinned, God moves steps away from the world one degree. And with each, um, with each of the subsequent generations, God moves further and further away from the world, so to speak, into this seventh heaven or beyond the seventh heaven. And with Abraham, he reverses the trend. 
And now God is coming close, coming back to this world from the seventh to the sixth. And then Moshe, who is the seventh from Abraham, he's the one who brings, who is the, the, the one who, who um, through whom the God comes back into this world. God comes, descends upon Mount Sinai. Okay, well, with that introduction, let us begin our new Parsha. God appeared to Abraham in a play in the plains of Mamre. Mamre is a person. Rashi will tell us about him. The who and, Mo, and he, meaning Abraham, was sitting at the door of his tent when the day was hot. There's a lot of detail over here. First of all, what why does God reveal himself to him? In the past, whenever it says God revealed himself to Abraham, there was some kind of message. But here there's no message. So we'll see in Rashi how Rashi explains that. The second thing Rashi will discuss is Elone Mamre. Why, why the importance of saying where exactly this was? Plain of Mamre. And, and who Yoshev, he was sitting at the tent. Why, why was it say exactly where he was sitting? Why is all this relevant? And, and the heat of the day. What does the heat of the day have to do with anything? And if you read through this without Rashi, I would challenge you to figure all this stuff out. But we don't have to do that because we have Rashi. Rashi tells us exactly what's going on. I just want to point out, you know, when Rashi's commenting is not just, you know, commenting for the sake of commenting. There, there, are, there, there are issues. There are hints in the verse that there's more going on. And it's basically asking us and requiring us to delve deeper into it. So the first question was, what is God revealing himself? There's no message here. Says Rashi, yeah, it wasn't about giving a message. It was levaker et hachole. God was coming to visit the patient because we ended off last week's Parsha that Abraham circumcised himself. Well, now he's, he's post, post-op, post-surgery. And the third day we know is the worst. And so he, God is coming to visit him on the third day after his milah. That was what Rabbi Chama Barchanina said. It was the third day. And God came to inquire about his welfare. Why does it mention the plains of Mamre? Rashi says it's because the man named Mamre, he was the one who counseled Abraham about the circumcision. Therefore, he merited that God appeared to Abraham in Mamre's territory. Rashi now comments on Yoshev. Yoshev means he was sitting. Now, Yoshev, the Yo, a Yo of Yoshev, it would have a Vav, Yud Vav, Yoshev, but it's written without a Vav. If you take away the vowels, it could be Yashav, he sat. Says Rashi, what does that mean? Beautiful thing. Rashi says that when Abraham sees that God is, is visiting him, has appeared to him, he wanted to stand up. I mean, it's out of respect. But God says, Shev, you sit. Mani Ahmed, I will stand. And you will be a sign for your descendants that in the future I am going to stand in the presence of the court. That when judges get together to judge righteously, they are going to sit. The judges are supposed to sit. The litigants are supposed to stand. And God is going to stand and hover above this righteous court. As it says in, in Psalms, Elohim needs about the scale. Now, why is he mentioned that he was Pesach? Then we learned that all by from the word Yoshev, which can also be read Yashav, that he stood, he was standing, or he was getting, he was standing up, and God says, no, sit down. 
That's what we learn from Yeshua. Now, why does it mention that he was at the door of his tent? It says Rashi from the Gemara, the Gemara in Baba Metziah, page 86b, discusses this whole story. So it says over there that he was at the door of his tent to see, is there anybody passing by? Are there any travelers? Because as we know, Abraham was the epitome of hospitality. And so even on the third day after his bris, he is looking for guests to invite into his house, into his tent. Why does it mention the heat of the day? What's going on? Says Rashi, this is from Medrash, that God took the sun out of its sheath. And in other words, made it very, very hot. Why? He didn't want people to bother Abraham, who had just had surgery, had a bris. He didn't want anybody coming by to bother Abraham. However, Abraham was troubled. He was suffering over the fact that there were no guests for him to take care of. He wanted guests. In other words, there's two different levels of kindness. One level of kindness is that if you see someone in need, you're going to help him because you're a kind person. But a higher level of kindness, that's the kindness of Abraham, is that even if there's nobody there to give kindness, he wants people. He's looking for people to, to uh, dish out some kindness to. So therefore, since there were no guests, Abraham was unhappy. He wanted it to have guests. And so God brings him these angels in the form of humans, so they look like humans, so that Abraham would feel better that he is taking care of guests. Verse 2. Now we're going to see that these angels are, 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 are um, you know, coming for, for various missions, but they're also fulfilling this mission of making Abraham feel good. Verse 2, Vayisa eno vayar, he lifted up his, his eyes and he sees, Behold, there are three men, who are standing beside him. Vayar, and he sees, what did he see? Rashi will tell us what he saw. He ran towards them. He passed from the door of his tent. And he prostrated himself to the ground. Rashi tells us, why were there three to fulfill this mission of giving Abraham an opportunity to do hospitality? God could have sent one angel. Why are there three? Says Rashi, one is to tell Sarah of the good news that she's going to have a child. One is there to turn over Sodom. And one is there to heal Abraham. Why can't one angel do all these three? Can't chew gum and roller skate at the same time? The answer is no. Because angels are only capable of doing one type of mission. They're uno-dimensional types of creatures. And so the one who is going to destroy Sodom, this is an angel of Givura, of Din, of judgment, of severity. And he cannot pivot from healing Abraham to destroying Sodom. And similarly, the one who's going to heal Abraham, is this is Raphael, he is the one who is a, a, a healing angel. He cannot, in turn, destroy a city. As a human being, by the way, we have a closer connection to the infinite one, to God, and therefore we are capable, although it's hard, we are capable of, of doing opposite things. And Rashi proves this to us, that throughout the Parsha, they are described in plural. They ate, they said to him. But when it comes to doing these three missions, 
For example, when it comes to telling Sarah the news, it says, he said. It doesn't say they said to Sarah, you're going to have a child. It says he said. So we see that it was one permission. And when it talks about turning over Sodom, it doesn't say we cannot do this. It says, it says I cannot. So and again, one. And Rashi tells us he names the angels. Raphael, he outs them. Raphael, he was the one who healed Avraham. Raphael actually means, has the word Rafua, which is healing, healing of God. So he's the one who heals Avraham. But he also goes to save Lot. How could he do two different things? The answer is that this is in the same, the same type of, of, of mission. Healing, saving, saving Lot. Um, so that they can do. The issue is not doing two different things. The issue is doing two different types of things. It says that Avram saw. And it says this twice. Why does it say it twice? Rashi says. The first one means he actually saw with his eyes physically. The second one means he saw, means he understood. He perceived. What does that mean? He saw that, that they were staying in one place and, and he perceived that they did not want to bother him. Even though they knew they were going to come, she eats the custom, these coming towards them to invite them out of politeness, they stayed in their place out of his, to honor him and to show him that they were not looking to bother him. So they're being polite. They called them who wrestled across him. So he goes and he runs towards them. Um, the Gemara, Rashi says, says that it seems to be a contradiction. First it says they're standing beside him, and then it says he ran toward them. So it sounds like they were far away. So were they beside him or were they far away that he had to run to them? So the Gemara says, When they saw that he was untying and tying his bandages, they separated from him. They went away from him. And then afterwards he ran and he ran towards them. Verse 3, and he said, My lords, if I have only found favor in your eyes, do not pass from beside your servant. Now, the word that they translate here as my lords, on the Hebrew side, looks like God's name. That's why I didn't say it, just to be safe. So Rashi tells us, who is he talking to when he says, Ado and Nai? He's talking to the greatest among them, the boss. And he calls them all Adonim, all lords, masters. But then he, he speaks in the singular. Please do not pass. He doesn't use the plural. He uses the singular. He talks to the, to the top guy, top angel. And he's saying to the, to the, to the boss, to the, to the most prominent among them, he's saying, do not pass on from, from beside your servant. If you stay, the rest of them are going to stay with you. Now, if you interpret it that way, says Rashi, this word, Adonai, is chol. It is not talking about God. It is talking about um, non-God. However, there's another way to interpret the verse that he's actually talking to God. And therefore, he wouldn't say, Vayomar. You wouldn't say God's name. You say, Hashem. Vayomar Hashem. How could it be God? He's, he's saying to God, please don't leave. 
What does that mean? Rashi says, in beautiful Rashi, he says to God, God, I know you're very important, but please wait until I run and get these and bring in these guests. And what do we learn from this? We learn from this that it's even that that the mitzvah of welcoming guests is even greater than welcoming the Shekhinah. Incredible lesson. Verse 4, Yukachnamat Mayim. So he says to them, please take a little bit of water, wash your feet. Rashi reads a lot into that, wash your feet. And recline under the tree. Rashi connects this, let, let water be taken to what later would happen to the Jewish people, the descendants of Ram, that God would repay Abraham's descendants in that they would receive water through a shaliach, just like Abraham had water brought to them through a messenger, so too God provided water to his descendants in the desert through a messenger, i.e. through Moshe, as it says, Moshe lifted up his hand and struck the rock. Why did he tell them, wash your feet? He thought that they were Arabs, said Rashi, who bowed to the dust of their feet. And he didn't want to allow any idolatry into his home. So even though Abraham was the master of welcoming, still he had his standards. He didn't want any idolatry coming into his home. However, what we're going to see later in the Parsha with Lot, Lot didn't care. And he says, come inside. So he, he, he inherited the attribute of hospitality from his from uncle Abraham. However, the um, the way that Abraham did it, which was not just to to have a not just to be an open home without boundaries, without rules, that he didn't get from Abraham. And so he brings them in first, and then he has them wash their feet. That's very significant, and the Torah is very precise in telling you when he had them wash their feet. Abraham says, "Before you come in, please wash your feet." Tachasaids. Under the tree. And as we learned on Sukkot, this was if in this merit, we have the mitzvah of Sukkah. Verse 5 And I will take a morsel of bread and sustain your hearts. As we know, bread is sustaining, it satisfies you. Then you may go. Because you have passed by your servant. And they said, So shall you do as you have spoken. Rashi says that in all three parts of the Torah, of the Tanakh, in the Torah, in the prophets, in the writings, we find this idea that bread is the sustenance of the heart. And he quotes the three verses. Here it says, um, sustain your hearts, not which would typically you think is the plural. And the reason it says that is because the angels don't have they don't have an evil inclination. Therefore, their heart is referred to in the singular as opposed to a human heart, which is kind of schizophrenic. It has both the, the uh, good inclination and the evil inclination. Verse 6, by the way, we, we, the reason that they, they, they accept um, Abraham's, Abraham's uh, invitation right away they don't, they don't argue with him is based on the rule that you don't 
you know, there's there's a point in being polite and saying no, 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 da 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 da. Um, and you see that later with Lot that they do that. But with Abraham, you don't play those games with somebody of, of prominence like Abraham. And he invites you, you come in. Verse 6, So Avram hurries to the tent to Sarah, his wife, and he said, um, hasten three of meal and fine flour, knead and make cakes, ugois, round. Says Rashi, fine flour for the cakes and the meal for the starch used by cooks to cover the pot to draw out the scum. So there's kemach over here and there's soilus. Kemach, soilus is the fine flour and kemach is the meal. Who would know that he was talking about two different things, one for, one for the cakes and one the starch to be covering the pot to remove the yuckiness. Verse 7, Abraham runs off. By the way, it's interesting that with the water, and Rashi emphasizes it with the water, he's sending a, sending a shliach, an agent. Everything else is saying he's doing it himself. He's going to get bread. He himself runs and to the, to the uh, bakar, to the, to the cattle. Vayikar ben bakar, and he takes a calf, tender and good, rach v'toiv, and he gives it to the na'ar, to the youth. Rashi will tell us who the youth is. Vayimaher And he hastens to prepare it. You hear that Abraham is rushing. It's mentioned, he runs, he's hurrying, he tells Sarah to hurry. This is like emphasized again and again, and this was the one of the great attributes of Abraham is zrizut, alacrity. He did things, not only did things, the right thing, but he did it, he was rushing, he was running. Why did he um, ben bakar rachvatoiv? Rashi tells us there were actually three different calves because he was going to serve them each a tongue with mustard. They give us the, the best delicacy with mustard. Who is the youth? Rashi tells us this is Yishma'el. In order to train him to perform the mitzvah. Abraham wasn't handing off the job to the Na'ar because he was outsourcing it. No, he would have done it himself. But he wanted his son Yishma'el to learn to train him to perform mitzvahs, and therefore he gives him the job. Verse 8, he took cream and milk. Uh-oh, is this kosher? Milk and meat? All right, we'll get to that. He takes cream and milk. And the calf that he had prepared, we see her also, which you think of as make or create, also can mean prepare. And he puts it before them. Puts it down. He was standing over them. Tachasa ate under the tree, and they ate. Do angels eat? Good question. Okay, yeah. So the Gemara says, also still from the Gemara and Baba Metziah, that they appear to be eating. They are angels. They don't need to eat. They can't eat. So they, but as the Gemara over there says, um, a person should not deviate from custom. Don't stick out. If the custom is that, that the eating is done, even if you're an angel and you don't need to eat, just do what everybody else does. 
and when in Rome, eat. Verse 9, <laughs> wherever you are, you should eat. They said to him, Where is your wife, Sarah? He said, behold, she's in the oil. She's in the tent. Rashi says, if you look at this word, elav, in the Torah, there's a dot on top of the aleph. There's a ta, dot on top of the yud and the vav. So it's like you're taking the word lamed, the letter lamed, and taking it out. What are you left with? Ayoy. Where is he? What's Ayoy? Where is he? They're talking to Abraham. The answer is that they also asked Sarah. They asked Sarah about Avram. And that teaches us that a person should ask his host to the man he should ask about the wife and to the wife he should ask about the man. Baba Metziah in, in the tractate, Baba Metziah in the Talmud, that Rashi's been quoting all along, they say there, of course the angels knew where Sarah was, but to show that she was Tenua, she was modest, and she was in the tent, she wasn't getting involved, in order to, to make her even more, in, in, uh, to endear her even more to her husband by pointing out, wow, you have a, a modest wife. Says the reason that they're asking where is Sarah was in order to send her the cup of blessing after which the grace after meals is recited. You know, after you eat bread, you have to bench. The song. After and, and the way to do that, especially when you have um, three people who are benching together, especially when you have a million of people uh, benching together. You say it over a cup of wine. You pick up the wine, and then you start the bench. And then at the end of benching, at the end of the grace after meals, prayer after blessing after meals, you say, Baruch Hashem, Borei Priya Gafen, and you drink it. And that's what they did at this meal, too. I mean, this was a you know, very holy meal, Abraham and three angels. So it's customary that it's with that cup of wine over which a blessing has been said, it's called. Kois shel bracha, a cup of blessing. And in fact, there's a tradition to this day that it's, it is, it's, a, um, it's a good thing to drink from that cup of wine. And it brings a lot of blessing. And so according to Rabbi Yosef this is what they were asking for Sarah, where is Sarah? Please send her the wine that we just blessed. And of course, she has a child a year later. So this is very powerful powerful stuff. The Rebbe, of course, we know, would hand would, would pour a little bit of that wine at the end of holidays. He would make he would bench, he would do the grace after meals, then he would say Habdallah, which is the prayer after Shabbat and Yom Tov, over a cup of wine. He would drink, and then for hours and hours, he would pour a little bit from his cup to everybody who came by. They would get a little bit of wine. Of course, the cup kept getting refilled, but never cup was never empty. So each time it was refilled, it was still the cup of blessing. People would keep it and refill it again and again. So this is the concept of kois shel bracha. Verse 10. Let me see what time it is. It's getting late over here. Can't get out of the screen. I'm stuck. Oh, here it is. 8.31. All right, let's see. Maybe we can finish. 
How much longer do we have here? 10. Yeah, I think we can finish. Verse 10. So he says, the angel says, I'm going to return. Return, I shall return in a year from now. And there will be a son to Sarah, your wife. Right? It doesn't say you're going to have a son. But you already had a son. You have a son by Sarah, your wife. And Sarah overheard this at the entrance of the tent, and it was behind him. Rashi tells us this was actually Pesach. Remember, we learned before that he gave them ugot. Ugot is round, round matzahs. That's what he served them. It was Pesach. And he's telling him a year from now, habo, you're going to have a son. And the next Pesach, Yitzchak was born. When there will be life for you, when you will all be alive and well. The angel did not announce that he himself would return to him, but he was speaking to him as an emissary, emissary of God. So when he says, I am going to return, so the angels, um, you know, they, they speak as if they're God because they have no identity, no, no, um, no agenda, no identity outside of God. So they, they are, they're a transparent servant of God and messengers of God. So they're speaking as if, as if they are God. I will return. God is going to return through um, perhaps some other angel. They're, they're, they're not, they're, when they speak, they're basically, there is no them. It's basically God. Okay. Rashi, Rashi contrasts the way the angel does this and the way Elisha, when he promised the child, child to the Shunammite woman, he didn't say that I'm going to return. He just said in a year, Elisha, the prophet Elisha, and this is in the book of the Kings, book of Kings, Elisha promises the Shunammite woman in a year from now, you're going to have a child. But, and she says, um, she says that the angels who promised Sarah a child, they said they're going to return. How come you don't say you're going to return? So Elisha said to her, those angels, they live forever. So they could say, I'm going to return in a year, but I'm a human of flesh and blood. Today I'm alive, tomorrow I may die. But whether I'm alive or whether I die, says Elisha, la moyedazeh, a year from now, you're going to have a child. Behind the angel, verse 11. Now, in case you forgot, says the verse, Abraham and Sarah were old. Coming on in years. Sarah had ceased to have the way of women. Verse 12. Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After we come worn out, I will have smooth flesh. Also, my master is old. Abraham. Verse 13. God said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Is it really true that I will give birth, although I am old? Is it really true that I will give birth? Now, here's a contradiction. In verse 12, it says, what did Sarah say? My master is old. Abraham is old. 
And what did God tell Abraham about what Sarah said? She said, is it really true that I will give birth, although I am old? And as if she was talking about herself, but she wasn't talking about herself. She was talking about Abraham. She was still young, only 90. He was the old one, 100. So Rashi tells us that God uh, altered. No, it doesn't. Say, he says, she not cussed I'm sorry. The script, scripture altered her statement for the sake of peace. For she had said, my master is old. So for the sake of peace, you don't have to tell the whole story. If it's going to insult somebody, going to embarrass somebody, going to create some marital discord, right? Because Abraham will go running to Sarah. You said I'm old. Verse 14. Is anything hidden from the Lord? Is anything beyond God? They can't do. And I will, at the appointed time, I will return to you at this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. That concludes the Parsha for today. You made it to the end. We'll take a few minutes for questions and or comments. Um, I thought it was uh, later on that uh, people exhibited signs of old age that... Uh, um, you know, you wouldn't have known from looking at them, Avraham and Sarah, that they were old people. So who was the first to get old? Um, Either Isaac or Jacob. I think uh, Jacob was the first one to uh, have a terminal illness. Right, to get sick before he died. Um. It's a good question, but maybe, you know, the, the only oldness that they're talking about here is the ability to have children. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say, you know, that they had arthritis. Sarah, you know, uh, re- references a withered skin, you know, so. Uh... Right, right. That's a, that's a good point. It's a good question. You know, I'd like to look a little bit, maybe not now, it's probably too long, but of this. this oh, hold on one second. The whole idea of, of angels comes up frequently. I mean, frequently. It's interesting. A friend of ours once said, he goes reform. Said, well, angels aren't part of the Jewish religion. I said, you better read. You better <laughs> yeah. read. I mean, they're all over <laughs> it. They're all over it. So, um, and it's interesting. He's saying they can really have just one function. They really don't have their own identity. So are they just an extension of the essence of God? Are they powerful? Are they not powerful? I, I, I'm trying to understand it, but I think it's really amazing. I'm sorry. Well, after you said that, that we do. Oh, I, I couldn't hear you. Yeah, we, we have angels in, in the Jewish religion. And then after that, you said. Oh, well, I said, well, what I'm trying to understand is the nature. But because they're so important in the messages they're giving. Oh, what exactly is an angel? And they, they don't have an evil intent. But they don't have an identity, but they're but an extension of the essence of God. What are they? That's an excellent question. So the, the, you know, the way I always think of angels is a soul, mm-hmm. a soul is kind of like an angel, and you know, they, they're a spiritual being, right? Yeah. Yeah. We talk about the soul coming into this world and donning a physical, physical garb. Mm-hmm. Um, and the angels do not. They're kind of like souls that, that don't enter a physical body. We did have in the Parsha earlier that, you know, that did happen, that didn't end very well. 
Um, and so just like they don't have a physical body necessarily, they also don't have the eight Sahara, as we said, you know, they're just, they're, they're angels, they're messengers. I don't know what angel means in English, angelic, you know, you think of something in, angelic, but in Hebrew, malach means a messenger. Well, the angels really are messengers. In English, it certainly implies a spiritual being of some sort. Right. And, right. And, I, don't know, I don't have a dictionary. In Hebrew, we do have other words for the angels, seraphim, you know, the seraphs, you know, which is like on, they're on fire. Um, and so on. But the, the word, typical word for malach, for angel, is malach, which means a messenger. And so really their whole identity is to be a messenger of God they don't have the struggles of the human being, right? So they, that whole setup mm. of the animal soul and the ego and all of that, right. that doesn't uh, come to play. So is it because God doesn't show himself, you don't see the face of God, is it, is, are they the representative? They're coming to, to give those messages, to give God's word. Exactly. They're doing it. They're on a mission. To fulfill God, they can have they can have an appearance of human being, correct? Well, certainly we see that that's this is what happened yes, in this case. They can take any, any appearance, basically. That's uh... and and if I can add something, uh, um, you know, only human beings can improve themselves, and the angels are sort of uh, static uh, characters. They can't uh, uh, they they can't achieve. Well, yeah, they can't grow. Can progress. They don't need to. I mean, they got no faults in a sense, right? I don't think. What's their fault? They bring the message of God. There's nothing. There's no fault. In yeah. But they they can't uh, progress from their station, right? right. So uh, you know they're they're kind of uh, they have to stay where they are. Right. They 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 are limited in their in their uh, appreciation and and ability to apprehend the divine. Whereas the human, the soul, the human soul. Because it, it comes with the whole package of, of the challenges, etc., is actually able to rise beyond the level of the angel and connect to God in a higher way. So angels don't start as a human soul and be chosen as an angel. There's something separate. Right, exactly. They're a different type of being. Okay, okay. Yeah. Thank you. I got a question on the topic. Uh, that, uh, Abraham was like 100 years old and Sarah was 90 years old. And we learned before that, you know, that uh, for 10 years they didn't have children, children and, uh, and that's why she, uh, Sarah asked uh, Hagar to give to Abraham, something like that, for 10 years, yeah? Yeah. At what age uh, Abraham did marry Sarah? What, how old was he and she at that time? Uh, the Torah doesn't say that. Maybe some midrash says that. Yeah, I don't. Um, I don't. Um, I don't know. I don't know. But the you know the the ten the, the ten years that they count. Rashi told us in last week's parsha. Mm -hmm. It was ten years after they came to Canaan. Mm -hmm. So he came to Canaan when he was seventy-five years old, and she was sixty-five. Yeah. Spring chickens. And it was 10 years after that, 85 and 75, respectively, that is when Sarah said to take Hagar as a wife. And so Yishmael was born when Abraham was 86 years old, and she was 76. Yeah. 
Because I was reading, you know, the previous Lech uh, section, and it says basically all the generation from Noah through, you know, Abraham. And most of these people, they were like born when they, they were like 35, 30, 35, 40 years old, something. Right. Like that. So that obviously that uh, they probably, Abraham married her much later, you know, that's probably not in that age. No, are you saying because he waited 10 years? Yeah, because of this, she, he, what I'm saying is he's probably was married to her. If he was married to her only 10 years, it means that he got married, you know, not. Well, I, so I, I, I will, I hear what you're saying, Hillel, but I'll, I'll give you a different perspective, which comes from Rashi, which is mm -hmm. that the 10 years doesn't mean that they were married for 10 years. Okay. It means that they were, they were living in Israel for 10 years. Okay. Okay. And as Rashi said, that. Until then, they could blame that they didn't have the children because they weren't living in Israel. All right. Okay. And when they came to Israel and they still didn't have a child for 10 years, it was clear that it wasn't the fact that they were outside of Israel. It was clear that there was some... Something else. Yeah. Okay. Issue. As, as Sarah said, Atzolani Hashem Miledis, that God is preventing me from having a child and therefore I'm going to try something. Okay. Gain some merit. Okay. Thank you, Rebus. Okay. Thanks. All right, gentlemen, this has been unbelievable. A excellent start to a new Parsha. <laughs> and we'll look forward to seeing you tomorrow night. Thank you. 8 p.m. Back in business. Yes, Thank you. 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 Thank you.